Good day and welcome to the University of Minnesota Extension podcast, Minnesota Cropcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Nikolai, with University of Minnesota. I'm an extension educator in field crops. My co-host uh, is Dr. Seth Nave. Seth is a soybean extension specialist here at the University of Minnesota. And Seth, we've got a great lineup of guests here uh, early September uh, to look back and see where we've been in terms of crops and situations, but also to look forward uh, to talk a little bit about what we can expect this fall. Uh, I'm going to introduce our guests here uh, at the beginning, and then we're going to reintroduce them as we talk to them individually. Uh, but Tom Hoverstead is with us from the University of Minnesota Research and Outreach Center uh, located at Wasika. And a special guest, uh, Mark Bernard, who's an independent crop consultant from New Richland area, uh, Mark has been a longtime participant, I think now up to over uh, 20 years or so, into the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. And we're going to talk with Mark a little bit about what he's seen and the methodology in terms of, of uh, visualizing and estimating uh, this uh, crop for 2023. Uh, so I'm going to jump right back over here with Tom to begin with. And off air, we were talking a little bit about our weather conditions and our crop conditions. And so one of the concerns I know a lot of people have, Tom, is um, we haven't had much rainfall. And so I guess we'll start off with uh, kind of where we were uh, leading to here. Uh, how dry is it and how dry in perspective of, of over the last uh, uh, century in comparison, where are we at? Well, we just summarized August. Uh, certainly the growing season has been warmer and drier than normal. But uh, at the end of August here, I always summarize the monthly weather. August was not a bad month for us. Nothing really remarkable about August here at South Central Minnesota. I think there's some places in Southeast Minnesota that missed some of those August rains and suffered much more drought than we did right here and probably to the west of us. We're right in, right kind of in the center of the state, southern part. August, uh, 3.28 inches of rain, about an inch and a half drier than normal. We had one nice 1.87 inch rain early in the month that really went a long ways toward both the corn and soybean crop. August was a little bit drier than normal, but not outstanding. Two degrees warmer than normal. Not a, Nothing really remarkable about the month of August, but when we summarize meteorological summer, that's June, July, and August together. Then we start getting into some pretty substantial records that uh, are quite meaningful. The three-month period, our summer, we're the fourth driest on record, and our records go back to 1915. So that's, uh, that's a pretty good database. Two of those drier summers were in the 1920s. We had six and a half inches of rain in that summer. Our driest summer that most people can remember is 1988. If you bring up 1988, a lot of people remember drought year of 1988. We were just a little bit wetter than 1988, but the thing we had going for us this year is we were two and a half degrees cooler than 1988. So it was a warm summer, dry summer, the other thing I've done is if you put in the month of May, what I call the growing season, we're not done with the growing season yet. We start that May 1st. I usually go through September and call that the growing season. 2023 becomes much less remarkable when you put in May. We had six and a half inches of rain in May, which most of us were cursing at the time. 
because it was right in planning season, planning delays. There was a lot of replants. Had we known what we were what we were in store for during that month of May, we probably would have been a little less uh, cursing all that rain we had because the growing season turned out much warmer than normal. We're at 2,430 growing degree units. There's a lot of years we don't get that many. I would say maybe two years in 10, we might come short of that for the entire season. So growing degree units are not gonna be short that areas that were replanted, filled in, uh, we're not gonna look at frost damage prematurely on that. Now the last week has been very hot and I, looked at the crop this morning and I think corn fared a little better than I expected it to. Um, I expected a lot of it to kind of turn brown, give up the ghost. But I, you know, most of the corn is between dent and maturity. Some of that water demand is a little bit less this time of year. And I think corn fared better. I'm a little more concerned about what this recent heat wave, heat wave has done to the soybean crop. I saw some soybean fields that started to turn a little bit ashy gray, drought stressed, and now they're turning yellow. So we're seeing yellowing soybeans, partly due to maturity. It's late enough in the season. Some early maturity beans are starting to yellow, but I saw some areas that I'm convinced uh, turned yellow prematurely because they were too dry. And I think that top pod fill will not be very good on some of those fields where it could have been much better. Sounds like we are going to be safe from a standpoint of a uh, killing frost based upon what your observations are, at least in the corn. I think so. We've got three weeks until our normal first frost date. Uh, I don't see any indication that there's any very cold weather coming in. We'll probably finish somewhere in the 2700 growing degree unit range, which is more than normal for us, but when we had much warmer June than normal, August was a little warmer than normal. July actually was, wasn't too bad. I think that was helpful too, that we had a lot of, little bit cooler than normal weather in July, which helped because we were sparse in rainfall. June and July were very dry. Yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I think w when I um, think about this year, it sure seems like um, it's one of those years that really shows the, the capacity for soils to really hold us. And soil type variation out there must be driving a lot of the variation we see field to field. I know usually we talk about areas that get hit by rain or mist, um, but I think we've all been, almost everywhere in the state's been kind of on the edge all year long. And the variability between fields and within fields must be pretty tremendous this year. I think farmers are going to see some big, big differences out there when they harvest. Yeah, even our soils here, which really a lot of them hold a lot of water, you can find spots that somewhere under there, there's some gravel or something down deeper that doesn't show on the surface. But you can see some spots, even in cornfields where the tops are yellowing and you know that area ran out of water. Then there's an occasional sandy spot somewhere within 100 miles of here that you can really see. But my colleague, Jeff Vetch, who has a lot of plots down in the southeast part of the state, said it's much worse. Kind of targeted right in the Rochester area, the center of pretty severe drought for the state in that part of, the, in that part of our, uh, our area that we get to. I haven't been down there, but Jeff said it's... There's areas that are brown, brown, and the corn crop is done. 
Oh, I would concur with that, and that actually transcends from uh, southeastern Minnesota all the way up and through Dakota County and into uh, east central and, and north of the Twin Cities. And uh, so there's a lot of variability um, in, in terms of across the state. And listening to some reports, even in Lacroparle County, uh, you know, someone's good in situation, but again, the water holding capacity. But, uh, you know, we talk about variability, and I want to just maybe jump to our, our other guest here a little bit. Uh, Mark uh, is with us, and Mark is an independent uh, crop consultant out of New Richland. And, you know, Mark, you're not too far uh, stone's throw from, uh, you know, Wasika and so forth, and back up there. But, you know, uh, for a number of years, and uh, I don't know, you, you can, I'll let you mention how many there are, but you've been on the, on the uh, Crow Farmer, Pro Farmer Crop Tour, uh, and, and you had a chance this year to get all the way out to Ohio and, and work your way back uh, in, in situations with this. And we tend to think like, oh, well, this is Minnesota. That's how the corn crop is across the United States. But it's, it's really variable, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's different. It, it certainly is. I mean, we, we, uh, you know, we were just talking a little bit about south, southeastern Minnesota. And just when we started out on the crop tour, went from Rochester down to Waterloo. And we thought, well, this crop doesn't look too bad. But boy, when we came back up through that way, about a week later, it, it had just been torched. And uh, it really, really opened our eyes. But uh, anyway, yeah, we start out in Columbus, Ohio. And then we work our way back through the states of uh, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, uh, on the eastern leg anyway, the eastern side of Iowa, we come up through southeastern Minnesota. And uh, the crop we saw, yes, no question about it, was extremely variable. Uh, we had uh, mud on our boots the first day out in Ohio, and we thought, oh, wow, you know, we're going to run into, you know, uh, situations where we're going to need our rain gear here. But um, honestly, it, it really wasn't that way. That was really about the only place on the whole tour we ran into a, uh, any kind of mud was in, in Ohio. What do you think in terms of, um, you know, potential uh, bushels? Did, were they having good rainfall in, in that Ohio area and in, into Indiana and so forth all along where we were a little bit more hit and miss? Um, <clears throat> Ohio had been pretty good most of the year. And uh, talking with people, they had been delayed a little bit in the spring, and that had a lot to do with a, a lack of maturity in their crop. I mean, we saw a lot of flat bean pods there. We saw a lot of corn that was just dough stage yet. So, um, you know, nothing with dent. I think I had one sample the whole time in Ohio that I pulled with uh, dented corn in it. And as we worked back towards Indiana, we got into corn that was a little farther along. They have been getting decent rains, at least up front. They kind of ran through a little spell there where they were kind of lacking. They got enough rain to kind of keep them going. And uh, that's, you know, where they were at. Illinois, the crop was farther advanced. I mean, we saw some half milk line corn already two weeks ago uh, there when we were uh, down south of Springfield. And uh, kind of the same thing with Iowa. That crop was was advanced but had already kind of had its knees buckled by the drought. Certainly a lot of differences I know within the state of Iowa and, and uh, some of your other coworkers are, are on, uh, they're on the tour, Brian Grady and so forth, have mentioned that there is a lot of variability uh, 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 w- within that. Uh, now, when you, you get back to uh, some of the other areas here, I know in Minnesota, I, I think you mentioned that you get together and on the Proformer Crop Tour and talk a little bit about yield averages and so forth. Do you have any 
any numbers that you can share with us a little bit on in terms of uh, uh, yield, maybe upper Midwest, Minnesota versus national? I mean, where are, where are things kind of at? We were talking about that earlier. Yeah, uh, you know, we we ran through the last night where we're sequestered and it gets to be a little like uh, making sausage when we're, when we're doing it. But uh, what what comes out the other end usually is is a product that we're we're fairly proud of. Uh, in Minnesota here, we're looking at an average yield of about 175 bushel acres, but what we were putting together on the corn side, Iowa, about 197. Uh, that, of course, is two weeks ago. So we do have a, a kind of a, a, a plus or minus 1% there, you know, to kind of give us a little padding. Uh, we're not obviously going to have a, a good finish here, but uh, we, we should be covered with that. One uh, percent um, on the bean side. Uh, well, we don't do an actual uh, yield estimate from the field. Uh, we do take into account what we did have for pod counts. Minnesota's pod counts were very low this year, hence we've got a, a estimated yield of about forty-six bushel per acre. Iowa, again, a crop that's that's suffered a lot, especially as we get into that. Uh, Northeastern part of the state, about 55 bushel acres, about what we come up with there. Um, our national average yield on the corn was 172, and our average yield on the beans was 49.7. And there again, plus or minus 1%. Now, one of the things, and when you look at Minnesota, you're looking a lot uh, in terms of some of the data and opportunity in, in within southern Minnesota, some of the yes. areas where, you know, Tom is at, obviously, but you know, uh, as we indicated, uh, we've, we've got a lot of miles from north to south. So um, even though it might look really good in spots uh, right. around the, you know, maybe a little bit better in the Richland area, you can encompass the whole state. And there is a lot of variability. There most certainly is. And, and that's one of the things we have to take into account in a state like Minnesota is that we're only really sampling about the southern third of the state. And we've got to kind of go by a historical miss as far as what our data, our, our tour data says uh, versus what the uh, national production from USDA says. So how does this compare to other years? Um, like you've been around for almost doing this. You said earlier when we were talking on here, close to 19, 20 years. Are, 20 years, are, are, are yeah. we, are we typical? Is there a trend up on these yields or are we, should we not be too surprised given the weather? I would say the the latter. I mean, this has been a, a very unique summer. Um, we we've certainly seen uh, an awful lot of of drought areas that we've had to contend with, and areas where we've got uh, some excess moisture too. Like Tom was saying here in South Central Minnesota, we've got a bunch of replant corn here that that um, eh, it's, it's going to be a few weeks before that makes maturity. So one of the, um, you know, one of the questions that I, I think we get is that, you know, you guys are really trying to get out there at, in an early stage and make a, a yield estimate. Um, I mean, you, the crop is really established for kind of seed numbers in corn and, you know, a little bit less so on soybean, but you guys have a good idea of what's the potential is, but we still have some season left, right? So, um, you know, if there's a criticism, you know, the, the, for this kind of estimation is is the fact that you guys don't know what the rest of the season actually holds for the crop, right? 
So right. what and, do you what do you think uh, on this uh, year like this? Do you think some of that you guys must bake in a little bit of that if you don't have soil moisture um, going in? If the crop is looking a little bit a t- little bit tough, then you kind of you you basically turn down that seed size estimate a little bit. Is that is that kind of how you adjust for the for those overall? Well, that's conditions? one of the things we talk about. No question about it. Uh, soil moisture is is key this uh, going into this. Uh, tail end of this growing season and you know are, are we going to get rainfall besides you know in areas to the east where they've still got some time yet um are we going to get a frost on that crop in, in ohio usually we don't because we got lake erie sitting up there that that kind of protects it uh first day out it was, the heat was starting to come on and i was up in that area uh fog rolled in off of lake area and cooled it right down so i thought wow this is living so <laughs> That's very nice. Yeah, you guys have have a nice history, and I think you've got a, a good program. I think the farmers really, really appreciate those, and the marketers, of course, anybody marketing grain is is paying really close attention to it. So, um, I think it's it's a good service for us all. I I'm glad I'm glad you guys are doing it, and not me trying to estimate the crop <laughs> because uh, it's a it's a tough business, and all you do is open yourself up for criticism when you when you pick a number. So. I uh, sure. I really really appreciate it. All I can say is to those uh, naysayers, come along on the tour. <laughs> there you you'll, go. You'll have your eyes open. Now you, you traveled the eastern side, but you got together with the folks that went to the west. I would just. Right. What are some of the comments that you heard from that that group that went through western Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota? Just out of curiosity. Um, South Dakota's crop this year is, is much improved, of course, over what it was last year. I mean, that was a absolute train wreck out there. Nebraska, um, more of a mixed bag probably uh, this year because some of it's got some drought issues and some of it had some, some pretty good rain too. Uh, Western Iowa, uh, you know, pretty dry in a lot of that, you know, and that's, Kind of what we were were hearing, uh, you know, from us on the eastern side too. So um, we're and and we we'll argue about some of the South Central Minnesota stuff. I mean, I live in South Central Minnesota. I've, I've kind of have a halfway's understanding of what's going on here. And some of the comments made, I said, no, 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 no. You're you're reading too much into it. So. What about uh, kernel size? Um, I mean, that's, you know, in all of these yield estimates we talk about, you know, whether you can do in the field, but the big variable from year to year outside of counting kernels is, is that kernel depth. Uh, any, any feeling a little bit about are we average, normal, sh- shallow, uh, large in terms, of, uh, in terms of that number of kernels per bushel, you know, et cetera, and test weight? You want Tom to... Well, you, you could dog and then I'm going to switch it back to Tom. But yeah, you, give, give me your input. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I would say we're probably looking at kernel uh, depth that's going to be a little disappointing, at least based on the yield estimates that I've pulled so far. Uh, it it kind of shocked me when I left some ears in my pickup over the weekend, how much they had shrunk up. Uh, and this was half milk line corn and uh, doing the same thing last year and coming back in the pickup. Of course, we didn't have uh, horrible heat over the weekend uh, like we did this last one. But uh, those ears were a lot heavier, uh, in my estimation, than what what I found in 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 my pickup this morning. Tom, what what are your observations in in terms of around the the station and so forth? In terms of uh, 
kernel depth and uh, years filled out to the tip, et cetera, or are we have some more? Uh, every year we're concerned about tip back a little bit, but. Well, I think tip back, my feeling on kernel size, kernel weight, I think genetics is a big influencer of that and environment has some influence. I think kernel depth is going to be or kernel weights are going to be a little disappointing. I would agree with Mark in the, my experience has been years when we get good kernel depth and really nice test weights are years when we get a nice grain fill period in terms of days. And I think we went through that a little bit too quickly. I've got 95 day corn planted late April that's black layered, which when you look at the growing degree units, you would say that's about right. And a hundred day is really close. And we've still got three weeks of a growing season that would have been nice to utilize. So I think we're going to be a little bit short on kernel weight in some of those cases. Not sure how that really affects test weight, uh, but I think the tip kernels probably didn't fill as well as normal. And we took a little bit off the top just because we raced to the finish a little bit too quickly. And I think uh, we would like to see that slow down had this hot weather not come. If we'd have been more like 80 degrees every day, I think we'd have seen a little bit better corn in that situation. So. It's hard to tell. I really think genetics is a big factor on kernel size and environment is probably an influencer also, but uh, genetics overrides that. Yeah, Mark? Uh, could, I, could I ask Tom a question about the, the smoke? I mean, I've, I've heard some people talking about it out east a little bit. Uh, do you think it was a factor at all, uh, you know, in our, our growing season? And so what kind of factor was it? I've looked at that and I've thought about that. And I've, I've got a lot of data over the years that I try to correlate um, certain things to corn yields. I take soil moisture on August 1st. I've taken solar radiation through the season. And one thing I've never been able to do is correlate solar radiation with years. We have years when we have extra solar radiation. We have years when we have less solar radiation than normal. And I can't really link it to a strong trend in corn yields. My feeling is we probably get more solar radiation than the plants can use already. <laughs> so that little bit of smoke, I honestly don't think and this is just an opinion by a guy who looks at corn. I'm not a physiologist. Uh, I'm just a guy who hangs around corn a lot, and I've been doing it for quite a few years. I don't think the smoke is really going to influence yields. Yeah. It's, it's no fun. It, I really enjoy some of those clear, sunny days, and we missed a lot of those, especially early in the season. But I think the plants had enough sunlight to make the, to get things done that they need to do. Yeah, if I could, if I could jump in a little bit, we did look at some of the some of the uh, light data here, and and those cloudy day or those uh, smoky days that we had, it was it was um, really a small numerical reduction in overall light. Um, a cloudy day is a is a lot is a lot more important to us. So I I think especially when you talk to those folks out in in Michigan and Ohio where they get a lot more cloudy weather. That's a lot different story than what we have uh, from the from the smoke. The other thing with smoke that's really interesting is that 
you know, the classic physiology on, on smoke is that, or any of this kind of uh, indirect light is scattering of light is actually really helpful for the plant because it, it basically allows some of that. And this kind of follows on Tom's point about, you know, the, the, the crop not being able to need any more light, but if you scatter the light, it actually hits those lower, you get more light deeper in the canopy where you normally would have shaded leaves on a perfectly clear day. So um, the old physiologists say that a little bit of light scattering is, is very beneficial to a plant. And so I, my guess is that on balance, I think we probably had a net zero on the whole deal. I don't think it was an, a negative. And if it was, uh, it would be too small to determine. And, and you can't, I mean, we had so much heat that we can't, we can't complain about, no. we can't complain about um, smoke and yet complain about the heat at the same time. So I think I think we've got a um, I th- I think there's a lot of discussion about it, but it, it shows that that people are thinking anyway and uh, and and wanting to have a discussion about some of these finer points. But I don't think that this is probably one that's really worth anything. Wanted to um, jump back in here, um, Mark. We talked a little bit off there before we talk about harvest this fall, but can you briefly just outline a little bit of the methodology uh, when you? Uh, folks use uh, opportunity to go out into the corn, say, for example, and, and take estimates uh, on there. I think you intimated that our, one of our former uh, agronomists here, Dale Hicks, was involved a little bit on that. But maybe just quickly review a little bit about how, what you're doing in terms of, of uh, kernel count and yield estimate. Yeah, I, I think that was uh, Hicks that did a lot of the work on, on this formula. Anyway, when we're, we're out on crop tour, we're kind of on the go. So what we're doing is we're getting into these cornfields. We're going about 35 paces off the headlands. We're measuring out 30 feet of row. We're counting the number of ears in two adjacent rows on that 30 feet. We total that number of ears up. We uh, pick ears number five, eight, and 11 out of one of those rows and bring that back to the uh, pickup. And from there, we count the number of kernels around on the ears, and then we take the ear length in inches. And we average those figures, and we take that uh, number of ears that we counted in that 30 uh, 30 feet on those two rows, divided by two, or multiplied by 0.5, and then multiply that figure by the number of kernels around, by the average ear length, and then divide by the row width in inches. And that gives you uh, a rough estimate anyway of what that uh, yield would be on that area that you sample. Are we Minnesota versus Ohio and Illinois? Are we same number of rows? Uh, are, are, do we have large ears this year? I know that obviously that's going to affect a, a little bit, but you know, that's a, genetics plays a part of this too. Sure. Um, you know, this this year we're kind of more average on on ear size here in Minnesota. Our ear length was down slightly over a year ago, uh, and that's not surprising either because you alluded to some of the tip back that we're seeing on some of these fields, and and this was apparent here, oh, you know, already two three weeks ago when we go out and start looking around in these cornfields in the area. We we uh, we were talking earlier also about. Um getting into the harvest uh, at this time of the year. Maybe Tom and you want to jump in here too, but what advice um, 
if we're looking at from a grower standpoint and given the amount of variability that we have across the state and, uh, and, and Mark has alluded to that there's a lot of variability, obviously, you know, not only between state to state, between field to field, but um, the concern in some of these areas, it's some of this corn is, is dried up a little bit in some places, but stock quality and, and integrity, any, any, any comments uh, on that or, and, and observations kind of going uh, forward here? You know, we, we haven't gotten into our storms yet in terms of wind, but, um, you know, what are some things that growers should, could think about as we get closer here to the mid part of September? I think stock quality is something to keep an eye on this year. As, as I see corn drying out this year, you know what it does. It moves materials from the stalks to the kernels and it leaves it a little bit exposed. I would just watch out. Now we might not get conditions that lead to lodging because of poor quality stocks, or we might, if it turns cold and wet and windy and those stocks are prone to tipping over, it's something to keep an eye on. I would I would cut some stocks open, look at the integrity inside the stocks and try to uh, target fields that you are suspect of and keep an eye on them because I know this year we're not getting a lot of water and a lot of not a lot of materials from the soil. So I think the corn plant is moving its own materials into the kernels instead of uh, taking up much water. What What's your thoughts, Mark, on that? I'd echo Tom's sentiments on that exactly. When I've looked at some of the plots and uh, even in the fields here too, when you're finding those stalks that uh, the ears tip down early on them and that stalk has dried up pretty good and you do the lean test and it kinks over, that's not good. And the thing that worries me a little bit is that, okay, that one did that, but there are a lot of other stalks that haven't got to that stage quite yet. So uh, I'm going to want to be in there looking at this thing in September and, and kind of assessing what it's done and, uh, uh, make sure that my uh, wind insurance is paid up with my uh, insurance man. Seth, soybeans? Well, I, I guess a question for you guys on what, how do you, what are you seeing the harvest look like out your window with, with soybeans? I know we've got some, some really weird soybean stuff going on out there with some of these varieties got really pushed hard, it seems. And I don't know, I, I don't really understand. Maybe you guys have a better idea of what was going on in some of those fields. But we got some fields that really got pushed early. And I'm sure some of them were very early maturity varieties. But yet, I think none of the models would have said that they should be maturing quite yet. So the, the stress is definitely having some factor and it it may even have some interaction with some of these varieties and maturities. So how do you think this is going to play out with farmers trying to, you know, especially for farmers that have historically tried to get most of their beans out before their corn? Um, how do, how should farmers approach um, harvest with these kind of uh, tougher stressed conditions? Well, keep an eye on the corn and uh, realize that, you might have to, this might be a year when you're forced into taking some corn, depending on the moisture. Soybeans, you know, we've got a lot of replants. This might be a year when you see some people go out in a soybean field and go around a certain area and come back to it later. Even some of those areas that are dry are going to be ready before some others. So it's nice to wait till the whole field is ready. And most people will probably do that. But uh, this might be a year when people switch from corn back to soybeans. We see that a lot when, when we get extra heat like this. Corn gets ready and they want to get after it. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of a pain to change back and forth, but not the pain that it would have been 30, 40 years ago. I mean, they can have that thing switched over pretty quickly now. Um, and, and Tom is right, too. There are areas of these fields that are going to be green where they replanted into them. Uh, they're definitely not going to want to run those through the combine. Uh, anybody that's ever had green pod stick to the side of a bin can, can attest to that. Uh, the, the thing we've got here is we've got some whole fields that got tore up. So we're going to have some some fields that are going to be really late coming, and they'll definitely have to go after some of this corn prior to that. Uh, the other thing that, that we haven't touched on, we've got a little bit of disease out here in some of these fields, too. Uh, we've got some SDS that showed up here late, uh, not to the degree that we've seen some seasons, but it's out here. Uh, the other thing I'm a little curious about, and we'll see as the season progresses here too, is the pod and stem blight. Uh, there's some of the compacted areas, some of the hillsides and things like that. I was a betting man. I could probably go out there, you know, in another few weeks and, and start noticing those beans are dead ripe. And it had nothing really to do necessarily with the fact that it was so dry. And that, that's a good point is, is to take the time uh, now when you have that variability to assess you know, was it water holding capacity, lack of rainfall, or was it disease? And in nets, maybe thinking about what their choices might be for in terms of uh, um, varieties and tolerance and disease tolerance. You know, you know, next year uh, certainly even on on SDS. I know we have our, our plots down at uh, that Dean Melvick has at uh, Rosemont, but he also indicated that um, he started to see quite a bit of it at Wasika too, Tom, and some of those things, situations. So yeah, it's definitely out there. And we don't yeah. think that these these wet or uh, these dry years are going to show up with a lot of disease, but you know, in some ways, these are the years when we really see the problems. The, the soybean can kind of deal with some of these when it's got good conditions, and it seems like uh, when it's more stressed, it's like what we always talk about. Multiple stresses really, you know, highlight some of the deficiencies. But and I think that's more what we're seeing this year is that the the soybeans just couldn't couldn't handle. There was there there was not enough water to to really create enough photosynthetic capacity and really deal with a lot of these diseases uh, going through. And so I think we're going to have one of those years where we're going to see a lot of stuff at harvest. We've. Uh covered a lot of ground here. Uh, Seth, anything else that you want to touch upon with our, with our guests here in the program? No, they've been great. Is there anything else, Mark or Tom, that you would like to mention? Um, no, I think, we, I think we've covered what I've observed so far. So I hope we get uh, some nice conditions for harvest. Uh, the last thing we want to do is have to fight to get this crop out when, when we've been dry we probably can take a few inches of rain there's a lot of falls when we're out here in the middle of september hoping it doesn't rain because a half inch of rain would delay us for several days this would be a year when a half inch of rain would disappear quite quickly i i um i agree i know that um one of the things i was talking to seth about even some of the uh economists and so forth uh even the price of fall fertilizer mark uh they're looking at, you know, anhydrous being a little bit lower in price comparison to what it has been. But, you know, we've got those dry, warm conditions. We want to wait a while here, uh, you know, definitely, even if you get this crop off. No, no question about it. I mean, we're going to definitely want to be waiting till that uh, end of October area. Plus, we're going to need some moisture, too. Uh, I'm, I'm scared to death right now that 
if we go out here and try and till some of this ground, it's going to burn up points on uh, rippers like you, you ain't seen. Um, and that goes hand in hand with our soil sampling oper operations for this fall too. Uh, that ground is hard as a brick in these cornfields right now. Yeah, we definitely would, I think, could really use some rain here. There's some chances, some moisture here. We're getting into a different pattern here now this week. Uh, and um, we're probably beyond the 90s, but certainly our subsoil, and we look back, and as Tom indicated earlier, historically, we're, we're at pretty low. And, and a lot of Minnesota, if you really look at those drought conditions and the drought map comes up, it'll still be there. Um, so, you know, even though we have a crop out there in the field, uh, uh, I'm concerned about that, you know, that subsoil as well as a, as a topsoil going forward here um, because it's an indicator of what we might have to deal with even next year. So uh, a lot of things have to go with that. Um, any other last questions? Otherwise, we want to say thank you again uh, to uh, Tom to Overstead from University of Minnesota Wasika Research and Outreach Center. Uh, certainly a, a big thanks to uh, Mark Bernard coming on as a, uh, an independent crop consultant out on New Richland, talking a little bit about his experiences uh, on the uh, uh, Pro, uh, Pro Farmer Crop Tour. Uh, always good to hear a little bit about where Minnesota is in comparison but uh, these overall uh, uh, yields, a good opportunity. Uh, and uh, like you say, Mark, uh, if, if you are always a little skeptical, uh, the invitation is always out there. Come along, I guess, in, in terms of that. And it's uh, seen as believing uh, with that. So, Seth, uh, any last words that you have? Otherwise, we're going to close out this uh, indication here of uh, episode of University of Minnesota CropCast. Uh, for uh, September 5 here for 2023. And thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you next time.